Romans chapter 16, as we draw ever closer to the conclusion of this book of Romans, a letter written by a man named the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome, in Italy. And he had never been there. We shared in chapter 15 how Paul's plan was to go and visit these people, to go and have some rest time, to relax with them, to spend time in fellowship with them. But that hadn't happened yet. He didn't plant this church, and he hadn't been there, but he knows a number of people there. And I don't know about you, but many people would just look at a chapter like Romans 16 and say, well, you know, let's just skip over that. It's kind of a throwaway chapter. It's just the greetings. It's a bunch of names. What could we possibly learn from chapter 16? And oh, you couldn't be more wrong if you come with that thought or that intention. Romans chapter 16 is packed. For me, I don't know about you, I love people. Isn't it good to know that your pastor loves people? Oh, we were worried about that. And I mean, when I say that, I mean, if I have the choice to watch a movie or a documentary, I'll choose a documentary. When I have a choice to read fiction or nonfiction, I'm going with nonfiction. I just like people. I like people's stories. Anybody with me in that? Truth is stranger than fiction. I mean, the stories of people's lives are fascinating to me to watch how they lived and the things they were involved in. And then you come to Romans 16, the end of this whole story, this whole book about the grace of God, and we see actually how God's grace in very practical ways touched real people's lives who really lived in a real place on planet Earth at a real time in human history and had real relationships with God and with each other and how it looked in their lives. So chapter 16 is about people. And their relationships with each other, their relationships to God, and their relationships to the Apostle Paul. Let me read this to you, and then I'll ask you some questions as we go through. Romans 16, verse 1 says, I commend to you, Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Centria, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed, she has been a helper of many and of myself also. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who is the first fruits of Achaia to Christ. Greet Mary, who labored much for us. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my countrymen and my fellow prisoners who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. Greet Stachus, my beloved. Greet Apelles, approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my countrymen. Greet those who are of the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, who have labored in the Lord. Greet the beloved Persis, who labored much in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermas, Patrovus, Hermes, and the brethren who are with them. Greet Philologus and Julia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. Now, no doubt some of you, as I was reading that, were saying, I'm glad I don't have your job. 
because you're going, I don't want to pronounce all of those names, so I hear you. You don't know if I pronounced them right or not, so I just made my way through it. So you can't argue that chapter 16 is about people. I believe that Paul was part of an internet community. Would you agree with me? You would. Now, wait a second. Paul was living in the first century AD. Did they have the internet? Hmm. Well, maybe we should define what the or an internet is. The word inter means reciprocal or mutual. The word net is short for network, which is a group of interconnected people or things. So therefore, the internet is a group of mutually interconnected people. Did Paul have the internet in the first century? You bet he did. His community was real and live and focused on sharing the gospel and serving the Lord. If you noticed, maybe as I went through, how many times I said the words in the Lord or in Christ. Did you notice that? Maybe if you read again at some point, you can reread that. Those who have they've labored in the Lord, uh, they labored much in the Lord, they're in the Lord, they're in Christ. All over this whole section, that's one of the primary statements. This all happens because people are in the Lord. See, there's a whole lot of relationships I had in my life outside of the Lord. There were a whole lot of things I did, activities I engaged in, things I labored for outside of Jesus. And then when I got saved, my whole life changed. My life transferred into a life from outside of God, apart from God, to a life lived with God, for God, in God. You say about relationships, I am currently in a relationship. If you're dating, I'm in a relationship. So that preposition in, I'm in something, means I'm involved with, I'm engaged in, I'm partaking in this thing. So to be in the Lord is to acknowledge that all of these things are happening because of and for Jesus himself. Here's the challenge. We recognize here that Paul was not a lone ranger. And he was not so busy that he never had time for other people. He traveled, as I've said, 10,000 miles on his mission trips, serving the Lord, sharing the gospel, getting the word out there. You'd think, man, this guy was on the road so long. He was constantly on the move. There's no way this guy could have time to build relationships. But in chapter 16, we find out that quite the opposite was true. And I wonder, as we talk about connected, being interconnected, we see all of the connections that Paul had to people. Paul was not just about a cold gospel. Here's truth, take it or leave it. Paul recognized that behind the words he was saying were real people, real lives, real struggles, real family backgrounds. And we get all of that if we read between the lines in Romans chapter 16. One of the things I find that I'm confronted with most often nowadays, culturally, even in the church, is that people have a great feeling of being disconnected. And it's not about being around people. You know that. It's a deeper than that feeling. It goes hand in hand with the feeling and the notice that scientists, researchers are noticing is that people are lonely. And loneliness and disconnectedness go hand in hand. They're the same thing. Just another way of saying it. So we recognize that as a culture, the way we're living is promoting loneliness. Even though we can have a thousand networks on the computer, the challenge we're facing is this face-to-face thing. And being connected is an integral part 
of who we are in the beginning in Genesis. What did God say to Adam? Just not good. The first thing God, everything was good that he made. And then he said it's not good. And so you go, whoa, what's not good? What's the first thing that God said is not good? Church, you know it. It's not good that man should be alone. Do you think that's just a statement about marriage? Or do you think that's a statement about relationship? So out of that, God then creates family. He gives Eve to Adam, and they have a family. And their family, they fall into sin. And the first family struggles with sin. So we find this disconnectedness is often related to sin. The first thing that happens because of their sin is they get disconnected from God. They'd never hidden from God before. And now God is having to seek them out and say, where are you? If they were connected, God wouldn't have to ask that question. But their sin had disconnected them from God, then had disconnected them from each other. Abel and Cain. Cain kills his brother. All kinds of family issues. But I want to tell you that the gospel, that the word of God, that God himself knows your deepest need, your need to be connected. Both to him and to other people. And everything he's given us, what he's given us, is meant to meet the deepest longings, the deepest desires that you have. God created you with those desires. He knows you have them. You've tried to meet them other places and other ways, or you've tried to live alone apart from people. People are a pain sometimes, aren't they? And you find out that what's happening is loneliness has become a crisis epidemic. And everything in our culture is leading us toward independence and it's doing us great damage. You've heard me say that. You see, the internet is all about being connected, isn't it? We like that because we like to feel connected. Our cell phones, if I'm driving somewhere and I go on one of these back roads and I'm talking to someone, all of a sudden the call gets dropped and you call them right back or they call you back. What's the first thing you say? What happened? Ah, we got disconnected. And it's frustrating, isn't it? We got disconnected. What about our computers? Wi-Fi. In a normal situation, our computers or our cell phones just find the network and connect to it. The phones do the work for us. Maybe one time we have to enter a security code, but after that, it just happens, and we've come to expect it to happen. In fact, we freak out if it doesn't happen. Why aren't I connected? Why isn't it connecting? What's going on? Get sensory link. What's the problem? I can't get connected. Somebody's got to be able to help me. There's a help desk somewhere that can help me to get connected. See, here's the thing. We've come to expect our internet connections to have two qualities, quick and easy. Our internet connections should be quick and easy. And I think that we've transferred those two qualities over to the human relationship realm. That we expect our human relationships to happen quickly and effortlessly. And if it doesn't happen, I get frustrated, I get discouraged, I get upset, and I blame other people, and I start to withdraw and become more disconnected. Do you know that's one of the symptoms of loneliness is disconnection? A greater and greater disconnection. You guys know I like to ride my bicycle. I got involved with a bike group in Charlottesville. I start showing up on Tuesday nights because the guy invites me. He's not there. No one says hi to me. But I want to be there. I want to be part of this. So I keep showing up. Eventually, after about six weeks, someone finally said, hey, what's your name? But what if I went the first time, ah, nobody's friendly there. Nobody wants to talk to me. And I just quit going. I would have lost out because I wanted to be there. But what I recognize and what I know about people and what you need to know about yourselves is we're a little bit hard on the outside, aren't we? It takes time. And so you have to keep being present 
for these connections. You have to give them time to develop. I have to explain this to parents when they try to bring their kids to youth group. I brought my child to youth group one time. And they said, no one talked to me. Well, that's normal. They don't know you. You don't know them. Your body language. You know, people are reading your body language. 70% of what you say is said with your body language and not your mouth. So you might sit in church like this and go, no one said hi to me. You know, you got the scowl on your face. Why isn't anybody saying hi to me? Because it looks like you just took a bath in lemon juice. That's why. All of your body language, your mind is saying, I want people to say hi, but your body language is saying stay away. So we're reading that. And it takes time to break some of that down. How about giant redwood? You know what a giant redwood tree looks like? Seen those out in California, seen pictures of them. Some of them stand 350 feet tall. And intuitively, we think that for as much tree as above the ground, there must be that much tree below the ground to keep a 350-foot pole anchored. Just put a pole up 350 feet, a tower of some sort. To anchor that thing takes a lot of work. You've got to put foundations in the ground to anchor that. Otherwise, when the wind blows, woo, it's just going to topple over. But you might be surprised to know that a 350-foot redwood tree has actually very shallow roots, only about five or six feet. Did you know that? No. So you learned something today at church. Praise the Lord for that. But here's the thing. What the tree lacks in the depth of its roots. Now, don't press my illustration too far. I want you to have deep roots in Christ. That's important. But in terms of on the human level, remember, the greatest commandment is love God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, put your roots down deep in Christ. But then it says love your neighbor as yourself. Those roots have to go down into Christ and then out into community. You see, what happens is the redwood tree sends out its roots, although shallow, out as far as up to 100 feet from the trunk. And the redwood trees grow in thick groves. They thrive in thick groves. And the roots intertwine and even fuse together. And that's how they get the tremendous strength to stand against the forces of nature, the wind, and the floods. So the redwoods never, ever survive alone. They're not designed to. They survive in community. Can I just tell you that sometimes they even grow so close to each other that they merge at the base into one tree. Isn't that what Jesus said in John 17? That I want you to be one. Just as Christ and the Father are one. All this is by way of introduction to say, as we get into Romans 16, no one ever stands strong and grows who stands alone. And You might argue, I'm not a people person. It's not who I am. It may not be who you used to be, but in Christ, you've been baptized into the family of God. Greatest family on planet earth. Oh, we got our dysfunction. But God has given us what we need to function as a community filled with love and grace. And we know how to solve our problems. We know how to deal with our conflicts. And the only time trouble comes is when we refuse to let Christ have His way in our lives. When God is at work in and among us, in His family, He is our Father. We are brothers and sisters. This is His family. Did you see in chapter 16, verse 1, as we start looking through, Paul says, I commend to you, Phoebe, our what? Sister. Is she everybody's sister, biologically? Please tell me you know the answer is no. No. He's using family language in the Bible when it talks about relationships between Christians. We have one father, and when people have the same father, they are what? Brothers and sisters. 
all of the language about church is not business. It's not corporate. It's family. And I think the one compliment we get most often as a church is that it feels like family. And we have to make sure that that's what it continues to feel like because that's what it's supposed to feel like. So he commends to them in this final chapter this woman named Phoebe. Why is he commending her to them? Why is he writing this letter of reference to them? Why is he vouching for her? Because she's the only one in the chapter that doesn't live in Rome. She lives in Centuria. Did you see that? Well, that's great, Pastor. Where in the world is that? That's a port city for Corinth, the city of Corinth, where Paul is writing the letter from. So Paul's in Corinth. He can't send an email. He writes a letter. There's a lost art. He writes a letter with his hand. He has actually a scribe writes it for him. And then he finds out this wonderful woman. Seems that she's a single lady. Probably a woman of means. She's traveling on her own. Maybe she's a businesswoman like Lydia in the book of Acts. And she's going to Rome. And Paul finds out she's going to Rome. She says, hey, while you're going, would you mind? I need a favor. And she says, Paul, you know, I'll do anything for you. You see, he says that about her. Look in the last part of verse 2. For indeed, she has been a helper of many and of myself also. She's helped Paul out on a number of occasions, in a number of ways. They had a working relationship. They had a ministry-based relationship. She's going to Rome, and he says, hey, I got a really important job for you. I've poured out my heart about the doctrine of grace, and I need this letter to reach the ears of the people in Rome. Would you carry it for me? And so she, on her journey, takes this letter with her, this very important historical letter, probably one of the most important letters ever written in the history of the world. And Phoebe is the one chosen to carry it. Her name means radiant. Isn't that awesome? Radiant. And so he says to the church there, Phoebe is the one who's carrying the letter. You've met her. The commendation comes. Hey, you can trust her. She's good people. And therefore, what I need you to do is I need you to welcome her in and I want you to take care of her in the Lord. She's on the Lord's business. She's serving me. She's serving Christ. And you need to accept her, welcome her in. They didn't have Motel 6 Hampton Inn. If she was going to be welcomed in Rome, she was going to have to find someone to stay with that would protect her. Remember, a single woman traveling alone, that's a dangerous thing. Speculation, maybe she's either widowed or was never married or whatever the case is. It's kind of an oddity. She's called a deacon. A servant, that's the word deacon. She's a servant of the church there in Centuria. So she's known to the church. She has a reputation. She has a ministry there. She is good people. And they said, whatever else she needs from you guys, help her out. When people come, we have an obligation because of love of Christ to welcome visitors to our church with a tremendous welcome. We'll take them out to lunch, take them out to dinner, provide for their needs while they're here. Anybody that comes to speak here, first they get an invitation to stay at our house. Some of them don't want to, maybe because we have donkeys, and I don't know what the deal is, but uh, sometimes people prefer a hotel, and we always offer that. But the first offer, and some of you have put people up, the first offer is always to stay in our home. So that's Phoebe. I commend her to you. We had a woman, maybe if you've been around here a while, you might remember a woman in our church named Aline. She went to be with the Lord maybe four years ago or so, studying the book of Romans together as a young fellowship. We came across this chapter, and I read about Phoebe here, and I looked at Aline, and I said, hey, that's you. And we nicknamed her Phoebe after this woman in Romans chapter 16, because they were of one spirit. 
She was a helper. She was always there to rush to someone's side if they had need. We need Phoebe's in the body of Christ, don't we? God makes Phoebe's. She's who she is because of the grace of God. Let's roll on. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also the churches of the Gentiles. So we meet Priscilla and Aquila. If you've studied the Bible, it's not the first time you're meeting them. This is a couple that moves around a lot. They start their lives biblically in Rome. We see them in Rome in the book of Acts, chapter 18. We learn they were in Rome because of anti-Semitism in Rome. All the Jews got kicked out. So they had to go live somewhere else. They ended up in the city of Corinth. And guess who they met in Corinth? They met the apostle Paul. They had the same job. They were all tent makers. So they meet each other through work. Paul shares the gospel with them. They start talking about these things. Paul moves in with them in Corinth. He lives with them. Then when Paul leaves Corinth, guess what? Priscilla and Aquila say, hey, Paul, wherever you're going, we want to go with you. When we started Calvary Chapel Fluvanna, I remember there was a handful of couples, young couples, that just saw God at work, saw what the Lord was doing through the teaching of his word in our lives, and they said, you know what? Whatever's going to happen next, we want to be part of it. We're saved, we're walking with the Lord together, and whatever God is doing, we want to participate together in that. And that was the relationship Priscilla and Aquila had with Paul. They went with him to Corinth, then they're with him in Ephesus. That's probably where it says, verse 4, they risked their own necks for his life. Paul, in a sense, owed his life to them. Probably during the riot that erupted in Ephesus over the whole making of idols of the goddess there. This huge city riot explodes. Paul's life is in danger. Somehow during that time, Priscilla and Aquila stepped in to shield, to protect. They were part of Paul's security team. And they risked their own necks for his life. And so Paul is thankful for them. The churches, they end up back in Rome where they are now. And then at the end of Paul's life, turns out they're back in Ephesus again. They traveled around a lot. But you know, wherever they went, you see the last part of that section? It says, likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Now, wait a second. How do you fit a church in a house? Remember, a church is not a building. A church is people. And wherever this couple went, they had open hearts and open homes. They always had a church meeting in their home. When they looked for a new house, they didn't say, well, I want to make sure it's got a man cave or a TV room or a fitness room. They said, where are we going to start knocking out walls so we can fit Bible study here? That was what they were concerned with. That was just their heartbeat. The church needs Priscilla's and Aquila's. And notice her name comes first. It's not Aquila and Priscilla. Priscilla's the female. She seems to be the more prominent one in the relationship. Fantastic couple. Can't wait to meet them in heaven. Greet my beloved Epinetus. He's the first fruits of Achaia. So Achaia is where Corinth is in southern Greece. And so Paul's there laboring. This guy Epinetus, he's the first one that gets saved. Again, just personally, I remember as a young pastor, our first baptism. I don't know if they're here today, but Mike and Susan Shields, maybe you know them. They will always have a place in my heart because they were the first people I ever baptized as a pastor in a hot tub at Camp Friendship is where that happened. We didn't have a church. We didn't have nothing. And they got saved. So, well, we've got to find a place to get baptized. So these are the memories that Paul is sharing, the relationship, the network of people as you serve the Lord together. Greek Mary, who labored much for us. This word labored much, we're going to see that come up two more times. This is a word that means to toil to the point of exhaustion. See, God needs people who love Him so much they're willing to exhaust themselves on his behalf. 
Look, the world is wanting to wear you out. That's why Sunday, that's my day to sleep in. Because I'm exhausted from the world demanding so much of me all week. And that's not just work, folks. It's recreation, too. We're exhausted Sunday because Saturday we had soccer games all day. Or we had baseball games all day. Or whatever we did. And I'm not saying that's wrong. What I'm saying is that it comes to the Lord. We go, I'm too tired for the Lord. Really? The world is going to wear you out so that you don't have time for the Lord? That's the world's system. That's what the world wants. That you're so tired from all of your work and recreation all week. But here's people that labored, toiled to the point of exhaustion for the Lord. And there's other people mentioned like that too. You want to feel connected? You want to get connected? Number one, get connected to the Lord. Get saved. Number two, learn people's names. You see how many times he's greeting people? 27 people he greets by name. Phoebe, Priscilla and Aquila. How did you do with 10 names during greeting time? Were you able to greet 10 people by name? Yeah. (laughs) You want to get connected? Ask people their name. Make it a point to learn people's names. And then when you talk to them, use their names. Paul could have just said, hey, greet everybody in Rome. Let's get on with it. Listen, he takes the time. He's dictating this letter. And he takes the time through the dictation to mention these people, every one of them, 27 of them, by name. And Paul knew a lot of people. He planted how many churches? In how many cities? 27 people by name. And he shared something endearing about almost all of them. Experiences they'd shared. How their paths had crossed. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my countrymen and my fellow prisoners. There's one place for paths to cross in prison. I know people that cross paths in prison. When you struggle together, when you suffer together, you want to get connected, suffer with somebody. There's a bond. You want to get connected, labor with somebody. VBS this week. Did I tell you how many relationships went deeper this week because people just showed up to serve the Lord and in the process, they grew deeper with people. And then you grow deeper with people and then you and those people say, hey, let's serve the Lord together. And so there's this cycle, this cyclical thing in the lives of Christians that ministry develops out of relationships and relationships develop out of ministry. And it's a perpetuating cycle. You want to get to know people? Get involved in a ministry together. And even if no one says hi to you, keep showing up. And eventually, you'll be part of the team. I know youth in this church right now, first time they came, no one talked to them, don't want to go, I'm quiet, I'm introverted, and now they're prominent in the youth group. I mean, they are ministering to others, they've got great relationships, they're walking into healthier lives, because one of the biggest crises is not just disconnected people, disconnected youth is a huge crisis right now. Millions of youth. Millions of youth. Listen, we said it's not good that man should be alone, right? We've got millions of youth that are disconnecting from society. They're on social media, they're hiding in video games, they're networking on the internet, but nothing here. And it's detrimental. And God wants them to be connected to other kids in healthy relationships. The world's end to that is gangs. Bad family life, bad social life, the gang will accept me. The gang will give me family. Church, we got work to do. There's kids' lives that need to be redeemed. They're just waiting to be loved. They're waiting to be accepted. They're waiting for someone to ask them their name. Verse 8, Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. So that's a term of endearment. The word Amplius means large, by the way. Hey, greet Larry large. 
my beloved in the Lord. So Paul says, I love this guy. Greet Urbanus, that's the word where we get urban. Greet city boy, our fellow worker in Christ. Again, they work together. Paul says we work together in Christ. And Stachus, my beloved. Greet Apelles, approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my countryman. Greet those who are of the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. I like this guy, Narcissus. His name taken from the Greek myth of Narcissus, right? We get the word narcissism. You heard of that word? This is also epidemic in our culture. Narcissistic behavior is now a psychological diagnosis. He fell in love with his own reflection in the pond. He's a handsome young man, falls in love with reflection, dies of thirst because he can't stop looking at himself. It's the epitome of self-centeredness. And so here's the guy, I love this. They're saying, greet Narcissus and those of his household that are in the Lord. So somehow this guy has gone from his focus being on himself, at least that's what his name means, to now his focus is on the Lord and those of his household focusing on the Lord. It doesn't matter what you used to be. All that matters is what you are, what you are in Christ. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa who have labored in the Lord. Again, it's the same word used before, toiled to the point of exhaustion, laid their head down at night and were exhausted but satisfied because they've been serving the Lord. You might enjoy knowing that these are probably twin sisters and their names mean dainty and delicate. Greet dainty and delicate who are out there sweating it out for the Lord, laboring. How many of you know ministry is hard work? People require work. Relationships require work. People have need. They've got to move. You know, we've got to help them move. We've got to provide meals. It takes work. But you say, well, I don't want to do that kind of work. Well, then you'll stay disconnected. That's your choice. But if you really want to get connected, you start serving people. That's the minimum of what God has required. You want to be my disciple, you deny yourself. You take up your cross and you follow me. You want to save your life? You want to guard your life, your thing, your deal? then you'll end up losing it. You'll lose your mind. But if you want to save your life, if you want to have a life, the only way to have it is to give it away. The only way you can keep your life is to give it away. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa who have labored in the Lord. Greet beloved Persis who labored much in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. Rufus, there's a name if you're looking for a name for a grandchild or something like that. Rufus. It's not popular now, but it was popular then. As a matter of fact, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15, I think it's verse 21, we get the story of, maybe you remember, Simon, the Cyrenian man. Does that ring a bell? What did Simon do? He shows up for the Passover into Jerusalem. And while he's there, he finds this guy who's carrying this cross down the street. And a Roman guard says, hey, hey you, come over here, carry this cross. The Roman guard could compel a person to carry a burden. And so Here's Simon from North Africa, probably a dark skin. He's an African man. He's black. And he's compelled to carry the cross of Christ. Well, Mark tells us, Mark, by the way, wrote his gospel to the church in Rome. And in this seemingly negligible, kind of haphazard mention, he mentions in his gospel that this guy Simon happened to have two sons. One of them is named Alexander. The other one's name, can you guess, church? is Rufus. Rufus evidently goes on to become a Christian. And my guess is that Paul knew him pretty well and maybe Rufus was struggling living in the shadow of his famous father. 
who carried the cross of Christ. You know how that is. You've got a mom or dad that's important in ministry, big involvement, and you feel like, how can I ever measure up? I know my dad had a calling in, in his life, but, you know, but I don't know about me. How can I ever do what he did? And Paul says, it's almost like he draws Rufus in. He says, greet Rufus. Remind him, he himself is chosen in the Lord. And his mother and mine. Now, she wasn't really Paul's mother, but evidently she cared for him in a mothering way along in his ministry life. Greet Asyncretus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermes, and the brethren who are with them. I think verse 14 gives us a men's discipleship house. These are guys just working and laboring and following the Lord together, studying, trying to grow in Christ. Greet Philologus and Julia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus and all the saints who are with them. So that's probably another house church in Rome. I like the name Philologus. You know what that means? It means lover of the word. I think it's probably a nickname. Just like Barnabas, the son of encouragement, you've got Philologus, the lover of the word. Hey, greet that guy who loves the word. Could that be your nickname? Would someone call you Philologus and not have to chuckle about that? Would that not be a, an appropriate thing to call you? Greet Philologus and Julia, either husband and wife or brother and sister. Greet Nereus and good old, what's her name? His sister. He forgets a name. And his sister, whatever her name is. Olympus and all the saints are with them. And then he says to them, greet one another with a holy kiss. You can break that command. You don't have to greet each other with a kiss. It's cultural for them, not for us. And then he reminds them, not only are you connected to each other, you are connected to the church worldwide. He says, the churches of Christ greet you. Amen.